Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. I'm Corky Searles. I've been coming to the village now for, I guess, four years and first found out about Holden Village from the Holden Evening Prayer, which I sang in my church. I've been coming back pretty regularly. I've run the ski program here for the last year, and currently I'm here as a maverick. We're talking about information technology. What's your background in, in that? I got first involved in IT when I was in high school. We had a teacher who had a lot of foresight, and there was spare time on the computer at the school administration building overnight. He got permission to allow us to write software and learn about computer programming. At that time, and this was a long time ago, this was when a computer filled basically this equivalent of this house and took way more power than this house (laughs) produces. Um, And we used punch cards to do all the programming. So it's been a few years. It's been kind of an ongoing hobby for me ever since. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I'm Jonah Snyder. I've been here for about a year and a half now. Uh, I finished up my undergrad at the University of Minnesota and came out here with my fiance, now wife, Kelly, and came into the IT position about a year ago now. So my background is in user support. I had a student job um, when I was at the University of Minnesota working the service desk uh, as a, like a service desk lead. So I was supervising other students who were answering questions um, via phone, email, chat from like a 50,000 person institution. And then my degree was in IT infrastructure, which meant like a lot of the higher level stuff, a little project management, a little systems administration, a little bit of networking, kind of bits and bobs of all, of all sorts of smattering of things. And so coming into this role has really meant having to marry all of those all together, being the, the end all be all. In terms of within the village contact, uh, there are other folks outside the village who have done, you know, primary initial design and are available as subject matter experts for more specific pieces of the infrastructure. I, I was listening to the archive and the last time technology was talked about was 2005. And they were asking whether to get satellite internet for the business. I could hear them leaning towards one rule we have today that someone who isn't in the village for more than three weeks doesn't get internet access. But mm-hmm. speak to what, what internet's like. So the internet, the big, you know, open ocean information superhighway, is it stands for interconnected networks. So we are one of many, and that's true whether you're in your house, it's true whether you're at your university or in your, on your church's Wi-Fi. There's a route from you to the resource you're trying to access. And so the question is not, why is it slow? The question is more along the lines of, you know, where might the bottleneck be? What is what does my behavior look like that might be impacting um, the availability of the service in general? And so the village itself, within the campus of the village, as it were, we can, you know, interact with one another locally in a way that's fairly performant. The difficulty comes when we try to access services that live outside of the village. To put it in perspective, even slow residential internet in the outside world is about 10 times faster than our base speed, and you share it with two to four people, and we share it with 30 people. So 
Our nearest, the nearest person to the village who supplies us with internet is Weavetel. They have what's called an earth station. So there's a receiver and a transmitter. So we have an antenna, a big satellite dish like you might see on top of the roof at your house, that both receives and transmits. What it's receiving is from the Weavetel earth station in Manson at the other end of Lake Chelan. What that receives from is a satellite in space operated by SES Americom satellite. So there's a satellite that drops a signal to Rick's infrastructure in Manson, which then fires up Lake at our dish and the dish in Stahican. That's a source of some initial delay. And there's also a lot of change in the ways that websites are created now because there's more of an access in the broader public to a fast internet speed. So people say, cool, there's an opportunity to make my website not just HTML code, not just a piece of text or a flashing image, but a whole application connected via an IP address. So there's a large load and a lot of content to deliver from everything from you know, ads that are coming in through the page to generate it revenue to, you know, large pieces of functionality of that website itself. It's not just text. Because of our, our gap between us and, and the broader world public internet speed, it's not as though there's a lot of wide area, you know, big internet resources that are optimized for slow connections. Right, right. So what are some of the restrictions in terms of service that people have to agree to is everybody allowed to just turn on their phones and text each other over the internet data? or um... So you have to be here for a minimum of three weeks. It's actually been long enough now since we've had people here for that short a time that we're a little bit in a different boat currently. But when we have a lot of people coming through in the summer when the staff population, active internet users, looks more like you know 80 or even in some cases north of 100 users or dev- and devices in total, there is kind of a need to provision that carefully. So there's staff access, and then there's also business access for those who are using the network to you know, communicate with banks outside, with HR softwares who are trying to conduct business that does involve the downlink world. And so there's some degree of automated prioritization that happens between those, but it's also dependent on user behavior. So it means that when you sit down to open up Imgur or... Uh, Spotify or Skype or any one of these things, you're literally in direct competition with everyone else in the village who's trying to use the satellite link. So what are the things you suggest or recommend or strongly encourage people to do before coming to the village or when they're using the internet or have their devices? So something to think about. When I came to the village, I knew what I was going into as far as internet access. I mean, I knew I was coming here for a year. I bought a new phone with more storage and put all the songs I, I had on it because I, I figured I wanted to, be, wanted to be a little bit less dependent on the need for download. And it's a perception switch when you're used to services like Netflix and Spotify and things like this that have you click on the thing and it's coming to you on demand. It just won't perform here. It's actually also a question of stewardship in terms of leaving amounts of the resources for others to use, which is why kind of within the village community, we've developed other workarounds. There's also an issue with the newer versions of the software. So when people have their own, um, like Android phone or Apple phone mm-hmm. or their own laptop, they automatically update the software, which mm-hmm. you may, everybody may have noticed that you get this little pop-up. And so all of those updates, which assume that you have large internet pipes, also clog the bandwidth and they can shut it down for an extended period of time mm-hmm. just simply by having your phone connected to the network. 
all these things end up adding together in that when we're, none of us are even consciously using the network, there's data transiting. It really involves actually having an understanding of what data is entering and leaving the devices that are within your control. Yeah. The more we're able to communicate about what kinds of activity work well for other community members and what kinds of activity don't, mm -hmm. the less we have to act as the police, right? Yeah. Because that's actually something that takes away from all of our time doing things that are more useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking about community, the glue that hold, holds us together is the Vespers. And during the COVID pandemic, we were told we can't meet together. And that's where Corky comes in. He was the worship assistant and helped figure out a system using our network that people could still partake in worship in a way. So Corky, talk about that. My spring here was interesting uh, in that I was here for the month of January and the first part of February as the ski instructor and kind of in charge of the ski program. And then afterwards, I went home. And this was just at the point when COVID was breaking. And then I was coming back at the end of February, beginning of March, as the worship assistant during the time that I was out, a lot of things on the outside started moving towards Zoom and online presence to avoid the contact and to try to accomplish both business and social interactions without having to meet in person. And so when I was in the village and we started looking at protocols for COVID, I thought, well, we, we need something like this in the village. And so I started doing a, a fair amount of research to figure out, were there any open source tools that would allow us to do this same kind of functionality as Zoom in the village so that we could have the server live in the village? And this kind of comes back to what Jonah was saying earlier in that within the village, we have pretty good bandwidth available. It's only when we try to connect to the outside world that we have a problem. Having that server live here would mean that we could now actually communicate. Joan and I built it and tested it and got it configured. Then when I left, because I ended up leaving right at the end of or beginning of April, my guidance to Jonah was basically, okay, I don't think you're going to need this, but if you end up having to do, you know, having to really talk to people who are in quarantine, it's here and it's available and it works. The Probably the most important part was the ability to actually be able to see people and have that social experience and be able to communicate with each other kind of in person, even though we couldn't really meet in person. Shortly after I left, the village went into internal quarantine, and that became a very important part of the, the infrastructure. And even today, we're using it as the communications method so that the people who are in quarantine as they enter the village are still able to at least be present and part of the village activities like Vespers and and other things. So that was the genesis of the system. It ended up being far more than any of us expected. And I really did it as part of the worship assistant because there were kind of two projects that we did. One was to build a website, which we could use to actually publish uh, internally the, the worship services. And the second one was this other piece, which was really so that we could do worship if we ended up in an isolation situation. And, and, and that's the flu you're talking about. Yes, yeah. that's the flu. Right, right. The first one is Quibbler. 
Yeah, the the website is Quibbler, and the the video server is the flu. That's kind of after the, like the Harry Potter universe. Uh, so there's flu powder that allows a wizard or witch to throw a little bit of this magic powder into the fireplace, jump into the fireplace, and end up anywhere they want to go, right? Or you can also put the flu powder in the fireplace and stick your head through it and your face appears in the other person's fireplace. You can talk into their living room. Did you name the system the flu? Yeah, I was, uh, of I, course. I was the, the namer and I've made small configuration changes. Because um, otherwise it's just called Jitsi. Correct. Jitsi yes. is the name of the open source piece of software. Uh, right. Yes. Okay. But everybody's using flu because of the Harry Potter theme. Correct. All the yeah. Man, many of our IT assets have Harry Potter related names and we try our best to sort of match them up with the functionality of the thing itself. It makes for interesting troubleshooting conversations. Um, <laughs> but it's entertaining in a way that I think is very holden. Yeah. I don't know what type of technology they used. It must have been the network, obviously, but uh, there was a time Nancy Winger, she had to be homebound and wasn't able to come, uh, but she listened to Vesper services from her chalet. Mm -hmm. Not exactly. It definitely wasn't Jitsi or Flu, but it was probably a similar uh, networking. Yeah. One of the things that, that we had done earlier, and in fact, we were doing it, uh, we've been doing it here for quite a while, is is essentially teleconferencing so that people can listen. And that's relatively old technology, but it allows you to have multiple people participating in a voice conversation. And the main difference between that and the, the flu server or the Jitsi uh, video server is that it gives you video and audio. Yeah, yeah. Some of the things that have been accomplished are like staff meetings and um, basically any kind of meeting. Anybody with a computer can see another person who also has a computer and they talk. And um, yeah, it's actually a computer or your or mobile phone. device. Yeah, your, yeah. your phone. And the Quibbler has been incredibly helpful for services because a link can be provided that you access through your email, but um, you just click on it and then it brings up basically your bulletin. Um, right. And and links to all the music. And the reading. Or links right. to a sermon or mm -hmm. um so there's lots of lots of ways you can use it. It's at that point it's pretty much everything you can do on any website. Anything mm -hmm. you can find on a website. Yeah. So Melinda recorded basically all our sermons using a just a personal recorder and then would upload them using an MP three and um okay. Do you think some of these technology uh innovations has taken away from Holden's fundamental effect on people when they come here? So at this point, I would say we're in a bit of a different world because Holden kind of lives in this dichotomy anyway. Today, in order to be a business, you have to be actively engaged in the internet. I mean, we've got outward-facing websites. We do all of our payroll and a lot of the business function in terms of ordering and everything else all happens on the internet. So we have to have this connection to the outside world. Holden is still very much a place apart, in part because of the satellite link, which means that we've got this very thin thread, thin and slow thread to the outside world. So it requires you to be more patient. But at the same time, I mean, the goal is not to have that experience where you're sitting on your device all the time. But at the same time, 
the fact that we can use this infrastructure to facilitate the business and actually give people more time to enjoy the environment around here, I think is definitely to the positive. Mm -hmm. But we do need to consider that. And as we move back to having guests in the village, uh, we need to to do a very considered function as to how do they interact or do they interact with the network system. There's some real advantages to it. There's also some costs in terms of people having to spend, get caught up in their electronics and they can live in their electronics as opposed to living in the environment, this beautiful environment as I sit here and look out at Copper Mountain freshly covered in snow. That has nothing to do with electronics. The other thing is that while many people are not aware of it, the village itself runs on an electronic infrastructure. So all the boilers in the village, all the kind of core utilities functionality within the village in terms of of both power and heat is all controlled by the same infrastructure that we're talking about that we're using for communications. And that's something that Most people never see, never have any insight into, but it's a very critical Mm -hmm. portion of the village. And it's the real reason that the infrastructure is there in the first place. It's kind of the heartbeat of the village, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like the things that you can monitor from a computer, instead of having to go physically to the boiler or, or other things in the village. Uh, it's pretty incredible. Uh, talk to some of the monitorings of the like operational systems. Like, mm-hmm. what, what can you see? Yeah. And I'm, so there's a series of load controllers. So they're electrical load controllers. Essentially, it means every large electrical load, big things that suck power, think the steam jacketed kettle, the, you know, large kitchen equipment, the, the Hobart water heating tank, um, Water heating tanks in the chalets for hot water absorb a ton of electrical energy. Um, they're all connected up to independent boards that are networked together and make a series of decisions. By looking at the electrical frequency coming from the generator on Railroad Creek, deciding, okay, we have enough spare power, or essentially we haven't yet impacted our power enough so we can turn on this additional load. You get hot water. Um, this person can turn on the Hobart. Um, And at the same time, that system is capable of going, whoa, we don't have enough flow to supply the village with enough electrical power. We need to shut off some non-critical loads. You know, what that system allows you to do is both prevent a number of blackouts because the village is actually somewhat reactive to power constraints. And it also lets you say, monitor the actual temperature of rooms and buildings. Um, So you can, you can see uh, the temperature of Fireside or Creekside uh, from a console and know, okay, there's an adjustment needs, that needs to be made that can help speed up repair, troubleshooting efforts, and you know delivery of electrical power to different places uh, where it becomes necessary to keep the village warm. And, and, and that goes back to the previous podcast with Jeff in the uh, alarm system mm-hmm. not affecting everybody in the village by you know sounding the alarm, but getting trouble messages pages to the mm-hmm. the people that uh, it actually makes a difference who can fix it rather than just one setting alarm everybody goes you know to a particular spot mm-hmm. i was just getting a kick out of people wanting to have music available there the cool thing about that 
related to the archive is, you know, there used to be listening stations and tape ministry was actually like, well, first was reel to reels, but uh, cassette tapes and cassette tapes got copied by the hundreds and people all had listening stations on all the porches. A lot of staff don't get to hear lectures. You know, we don't have any faculty coming right now, but when they do return, listening to the week's topics is really important. So having a music network that people can log on to would be really helpful mm-hmm. in uh, storing those lectures so that they can listen and download on their device rather than going to the library. The web server that we have is is very capable of doing that so that for the lectures, for example, that visiting faculty do, uh, they could actually have their lecture material there, both the handouts and a summary of the lectures coupled with links that just like the sermons we talked about for the worship pages. So they could have the lecture right there as part of the, the web page. So it's all integrated into a single piece that people could go back to and see exactly what all the lectures were and hear the discussions that went on and everything else. So those are the kind of things that are possible. Listening to a lecture and having the handouts at the mm-hmm. same time, mm-hmm. it's basically like taking an online course. Essentially, yes. So it would be incredibly helpful to have that. And I think uh, that's something to look forward to in the future. Totally. Uh, talk a little bit about Elon Musk and Starlink. And, and <laughs> I just started thinking about these future yeah. thinking directions. And uh, I remember you saying something about you having submitted something. So Starlink is a program, you know, launched by Elon Musk. It's uh, an initiative to provide an, a network of satellites in low Earth orbit that essentially provide internet to places that haven't got it from other sources and to provide so many satellites that they network amongst one another and provide redundant capacity to the ground as well. Basically, it gives you continuous internet anywhere in the world. We've thrown our names in the hat, as it were, with Holden Village's address. And, you know, several people here have kind of said, you know, raised their hands for this address. But ultimately, it's like signing up for a lottery to be part of a beta test, uh, the same way the structure works for like, you know, beta testing a video game. You know, there will be further phases, there will be public beta testing down the road, and eventually the service would be up for public contract. The question is kind of, you know, when when might we hear? And the the answer to that currently is that they're very much in the, the, the dark phase, the early phase, the, they're being relatively secretive about to whom they're awarding those beta spots. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, it came up in a other conversation, the origin of the Bat Cave, the basement in Agape uh, near the staff laundry. What's the deal with that place? <laughs> so that's the spot where the cabling from the actual satellite antenna, the large dish itself, actually enters a Holden building. And it's what's called the demarcation point between the outside world and the inside world, where there's a transition of control between Weavetel to village IT folk. So the Bat Cave was originally the location for the only phone in the village, which was wired directly into the the router that faced the satellite. So it was the Bat Phone. You know, a little it's a little green plastic chair at a table in a low-ceilinged side closet room. It's this sort of sneaky, weird, secretive location. So it was the Bat Phone, and so then the, the room became named the Bat Cave as a result. And there's the light switch has a little emblem of a bat on it when you flip it. It's kind of fun. Okay. Okay. So now, now we have two satellite dishes. Yes. What other methods 
if the internet does go down, do we have in connecting to the outside world? So those two antenna that leave the village are our two points. What if both go out? Oh, okay. We have a third satellite phone that is emergency, emergency, backup, backup. Yeah, it looks directly at the sky. It doesn't go to a middleman. Okay. I really just wanted to get Corky talking about ham radio stuff. Uh, <laughs> There's all kinds of other things we could do with the equipment we have here, probably. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's we can do other communications, but in terms of network communications, if those go out, we are in a position where the easiest communication that we have is to write stuff onto a disk and take it down lake. Mm -hmm. In terms of actually moving uh, any sort of substantial amount of data. Trucks full of hard drives going down the highway are still the fastest form of data transit, even if the latency is incredibly large. I think we've just about covered it. Yeah, no, I appreciate all your sharing of your knowledge and all the innovation you put into making things much more community-inducing, uh, given our shelter in place and being in a remote village at the same time. It's, it was uh, doubly hard to uh, go through COVID and then the things like flu and quibbler came yeah. out and made things a little more relieving that... Uh, we could have some of our same rhythms in the village, and that was incredibly helpful. So, And I think we adapt to the circumstances that we're in in a lot of ways, and, and there's not a whole lot of other choice here. And so some pieces of it have been really inventive and, and good, and it's also been neat to see how people have kind of adopted and folded those into um, the way that they do stuff on a day-to-day -day basis who don't aren't involved in the IT aspect of it. They'll just say, I want people to be able to join this meeting from the flu and do it of their own accord which is really cool to see. Yeah, it's it's become integrated into, I'll call it the Holden way. And so it's like the technology is actually facilitating Holden doing what it does mm -hmm. in terms of engaging with people and engaging with the environment that we're in, in a way that I'm not sure we could have envisioned six months ago or a year ago. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information, or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.